This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. We're talking about the Employment Equity Amendment Bill signed into law, which means actually in effect, uh, but not yet practically taking place. And we'll see how that conversation and what the differentiation in that uh, aspect also means. Amongst its key provisions, the bill paves the way for the Minister of Employment and Labour, Tulas Ngesi, to set employment equity targets for economic sectors as well as regions where transformation is lagging. We've been through the conversation before. We've had various other uh, elements of the conversation discussed. We've also discussed, amongst others, uh, what, is it the the the, the uh, employment equity? But we've also had conversations about the EAP uh, and how that is particularly, uh, you know, impacting and relevant to the conversation. Also, but let me bring Michael Bergraham into the conversation, Labour lawyer, DA Portfolio Committee member on employment and labour. Michael, is it Bergraham, right? Bergraham, yeah. Bergraham. And Bergraham. Yeah. Bergraham. Michael, how are you? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. Sure, You're sure. I'm very light, so thank you. <laughs> I'm up very light. Last time around, Michael, you were also up very late with me here on this particular show and we were having conversations. <laughs> I think you guys do it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, Michael, we, we don't single you out for the punishment of these particular times, Michael. So, so, so yeah, that I, can, yeah, that I can put up front and say up front, we don't single you out, Michael. Oh, thank you. Michael, Michael, here's the... Here's a conversation, Michael, and I would say, um, in 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 respect to to the conversation we're going to have, signed into law, and and maybe not in effect yet, is what what does that mean? Um, signed into law and not in effect yet. Does it does well, signing it into law mean that it's in effect ultimately, but it's just not being practically implemented yet? No, no, because they got to put it into a government gazette first. Sure. So the only the only way you're going to do that is yeah. for the finalization of the regulations. Yeah. Because the whole idea is, with it being law, yeah. the president obviously has now instructed yeah. the Minister of Employment and Labor, Tulis Nkezi, to mm. put together regulations. He's put together draft regulations, um, which has caused a large outcry, mm. a large part of the population, uh, those regulations um, then called for input. Mm. Um, the input was given, that's closed. And obviously now the president has to consider whether he's going to get it, put it into the government gazette, mm. which then would become effective on the day of the printing of the gazette. So we, mm. we're waiting to see what happens. Uh, in the meantime, uh, the um, obviously the Democratic Alliance mm. have taken that to court. Sure. Let, let's let's hold let's hold that let's hold that conversation, Michael, because we'll yeah. deal with all of those things. I I just want to just deal with some of these uh, aspects. You you are the labour lawyer, uh, and yes. you do deal with employment and and labour uh, in essence as well, and you deal with the committee in Parliament. So 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 let's just deal with some of these aspects in this particular regard. Um, signed the Employment Equity Amendment Bill into law in April. So, so does not does that not in 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 well, that by was indication? Two years ago. Yes, twenty twenty. Twenty twenty. Yes, not twenty three. Yes, yeah. but 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 does that not give you an indication that at some point it it will be and and employers and others who need to be alive to 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 what's going on need to be aware that at some point this is going to become law or. Is the conversation that you were already going into, the one about the legal aspects and the finer tunings and and all of such and constitutionality maybe, the one that's been keeping it out of actually being gazetted and actually becoming practical? Well, yes. I mean, obviously, employers are looking at it, and already it's affecting the employment situation in South Africa because people have stopped employing. Mm. Um, I, I, as a labour lawyer. On my daily, my, my daily bread is earned in labour law. Mm. And my clients are telling me that you know there's a fear that this is going to come in. There's a fear that they don't have access to the correct people to be able to employ, mm. and they've stopped employing. So we've already got um, almost like an a, an employment strike 
mm. that's taking place in the last two years in South Africa. And you would have seen that in the figures, the, the employment figures that come out on a quarterly basis. Mm. Every single quarter, those figures get worse and worse. So I am, unemployment in South Africa is sitting at about 40% if you mm. take the expanded figure. But if you take the figure of the youth, we're we close on 70%. We can't carry on like that. Mm. What our government should be doing is making it more and more conducive to actually produce jobs and not fiddling around with uh, stuff like employment equity, which is just, uh, I mean, the reality of employment equity is looking at race and to see if people can employ more of a particular race, which I thought we'd left with the National Party. Mm. I thought that was an era that was gone. Um, you know, the, the Nazis did it with race. The National Party did it with race. The, the ANC shouldn't be doing, shouldn't be fiddling around with uh, uh, engineering, social engineering of this nature. What we should be doing, what our Constitution calls us to do, is to make it conducive so that we reflect the demographics of our society. And the only way we're going to do that is the hard yards. That is education, upskilling, expanding the economy, where employers don't want to employ a person because they're colored or black or white or, or pink. What they want to do is employ people that would make them money. And I deal with employers every day. Every single day I deal with employers. And the only people that are happy with this legislation are those who are under 50 employees. And in fact, what it does is it puts a lid. So if someone's sitting at 45 employees, they're very careful not to employ anyone else because they don't want to be able to fall foul of the legislation. By putting a figure of 50 employees and you fall under the legislation, the government's already admitting that the legislation is not good for business. Why would they say under 15 employees you don't have to follow the equity legislation? Mm. And they say that specifically because they know that it's going to have a negative effect on employment in South Africa. And what it's done is it's encouraged people to say, keep your business below 50 employees when we're desperate for jobs. We can't sit in exactly this situation where we on the cusp of an Arab Spring, what happened up in North Africa, where their unemployment there had sat at almost 25%, and the people went on uh, an absolute rampage. We're sitting at 40%. South Africans are starting to wake up that this is not acceptable. South Africans are saying, we can't, we, we can't tolerate this anymore. And hence the march that took place today. Um, that march is people coming together. And if you had a look at the demographics of the march, it was 80% um, non-white, non-white non people who are saying, we are supposed to benefit from this legislation, but we're not getting jobs. We're not so, getting any jobs. So the, the reality is, let's not look at a pigmentation. Let's upskill our people. We've got so, young people. We are on the cusp of being able to be one of the best countries in the world because we have the young people, we have people that are energetic, so Africans want to work. Sure. Michael, I, I, I want to get to all of that. I just want to, you know, just understand, and I want to get to that march also in Cape Town. The, 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 cons, the, the challenge then, the court challenge that already is in progress, in essence, what is the language of that particular court challenge that's beginning to talk to this legislation. What are we, because you're not challenging in aspect as the DA, you're not challenging the entire law or the, the, the whole bill in its entirety. What you're challenging is aspects of that particular bill. What, what in essence, from the, DA's, well, from the DA's perspective, are you challenging within an environment of the courts? What they're challenging and what sprung to mind immediately was the proposed regulations of the minister. If you look at the, the, what the legislation is saying, because it's no longer a bill anymore, it's legislation. Mm. What it's saying is that they, the minister has the power to put structures in place of how many people you must employ from each demographic group. When you have a look at that, that structure, 
that shows how pernicious the legislation actually is because it puts a, a almost a dampener on employment. So in certain areas, you can't employ colored people. In other areas, you can't employ Indian people. They put quotas on it. So if you've got, if it says you're only allowed, you're in KwaZulu-Natal, you're only allowed to employ uh, 12% Indian mm. people, mm. Um, the and you already got yeah, 12%. The, the notice on occasion you know, determines a numerical target of 0%. Yeah, correct. Mm. So the other thing, of course, which is laughable, when you look at the minister's um, outline of how many people you can employ in certain areas and certain industries, it doesn't seem to add up to 100% anyway. So I'm not sure if the minister's maths is wrong or he actually meant it to be uh, a riddle. Because when you add up some of the areas in some of the industries, it comes to 80%. Mm. Uh, what happens to the other twenty percent? They don't exist. Um, are the, so are you, thing, is that the sectors? Are those the sectors you're talking about? Yes, mm. I'm talking about sectors and industries, and 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 it fits in the various the various provinces. So what you've got is if you happen to be Indian and you happen to be an engineer, and there's now enough engineers in in that particular industry in KwaZulu Natal. It forces you to either emigrate to find a job elsewhere and take your skills elsewhere or to move your province to go and live. I mean, can you imagine this is true social engineering? And, of course, at the end of the day, if you happen to be Indian or colored, you're going to come off worst out of these regulations. Mm. They, they are ridiculous. So, I mean, and how do we determine whether Michael Bagram is Indian, colored, white, black? Who's going to come in and determine that? Um, the, I, I might identify as a black man. The, um, are you going to hmm. come in with a pencil and text test me to see what I am? So, uh, so, so, no, 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 I, no I'm, I'm hearing you, Michael. The, here's here's, here's a, a question I need to ask, uh, ask you. Government would have a responsibility. Government does have a responsibility to fix what, what would have happened under apartheid. And I'm sure with you here and me having a conversation about what happened under apartheid, we could we could go on for forever and ever understanding the various layers that apartheid would have destroyed. And by destroying those particular layers, it would have had impact on education and access and all of these particular things. Correct. And, and, and that scenario would have existed in 1994 um, to, to, to the extent and beyond 1994. So government has a responsibility, a formal responsibility. That was sort of the mandate given to the government of the day. Now, you know, irrespective of, you know, who they chose, and, and I'm, not, I'm not here to defend how they chose, but they chose the ANC, and they gave the ANC a particular mandate to fix what apartheid had done, understanding that the majority of the country is also black. How do you, how do you have an understanding of then what government's responsibility, and I'll deal with all the other constitutional issues, have an understanding of what government's responsibility is to the people of South Africa, understanding the scenario of apartheid. What, what, how do you understand government's responsibility to then fix those particular historical you know, elements? Absolutely. Now, you and I agree on that. Mm. The apartheid destroyed South Africa, mm. and it was horrific. And we're going to live with the outcome of that for many years to come. Mm. But government has a responsibility in terms of our constitution, an agreed constitution by everyone, mm. uh, and it's a world-class constitution, that has a responsibility to try and right the wrongs of the past. Yeah. That I think you and I agree on. Sure. What we need to agree on is how. It doesn't help to say, all right, let's throw all the whites into the sea. Mm. That won't help because then you'll just destroy everything. It also won't help to say, all right, we're going to put a, a, an end to white employment altogether. Anyone white, let's retrench them. That won't help either. What government has to do, and I think everyone agrees on this as well, but they don't want to do the hard yards. What government has to do is they do need to correct the education system. They do need to correct the skilling, the upskilling system. And we do need to ensure that the hands-off business so that they can thrive and survive in every which way we can. So we know 
And we heard this from Tito Mobweni many years ago. Mm. I think it was about five or six years ago. He said, the engine room of job creation in South Africa, and in fact, I, I believe it's the engine room of job creation in the world, is small business. Now, if we want to then have that engine room survive, we then have to take small business and have to deregulate so that they can employ. And they don't have the regulations tying them to ridiculous bargaining councils where a small sponsor shop has to compete with pick and pay. That That's not on. And at the moment, our government has done everything through its regulations to handcuff business. On most ridiculous, I can go through, I, I can spend the rest of the night telling you what regulations I have to deal with every day in my law practice, where small businesses are dying. And the small business went on an investment strike about 15 to 20 years ago, and they're still, not, they're still on that strike, saying, well, we'd rather invest elsewhere instead of in our own business. What we need, and the hard yards is, we have to start. We have to upskill our youth. We have to get our Minister of Employment and Labor speaking to the Minister of Education. We have to say, what, is, what does the economy need? Let's move together. Let's hold hands and move together. Doesn't, doesn't, do we, mm, doesn't the economy need an, a, a more equitable, a more diverse and, 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 a, and, a, and a showcasing of equality within that system? Understanding the agreements that me and you both have, that the apartheid, yes. that the apartheid system would have, would have destroyed. Absolutely. Do, do, do we do we not have do we not have an agreement that diversity then needs to be shown within the the workplace ultimately? Yes, of course we do. But then how do you do it? You don't force it by saying we're now going to put figures on it, regardless of whether you can access the people or not, regardless of whether you have the skills. When I speak to big businesses, and we've seen the banks say that, we see the high. The, I mean, you saw pick and pay see it recently. They're saying, if you're going to force this on us, we haven't got the people. The minister himself, in an agreement with... Uh, um, Pick and Pay was talking about the skilled, saying they don't have the skilled people. Mm, yes, the skilled people. correct. Yeah. And what we need to do is we need... It's hard yards. We need to get back those uh, colleges where people were trained. We need, to get, we need to get people going through the system. And for the last 30 years... Very unfortunately, we haven't done that. The, the schooling has been broken. The universities are almost broken. People, people, people are not doing what the economy needs. I mean, you need to have a look at, at fantastic countries like uh, Botswana or uh, our neighbors. All our neighbors are somehow their economies growing faster than ours. And we have the people. We have this. We have the uh, a whole economy behind it, and somehow the government has not let loose and created those jobs that we need so desperately. Sure, Michael. I mean, I'll give you one little example. Michael, hold hold that hold that thought. Michael, hold that particular thought. It is eleven o'clock. Uh, me and you are, are together beyond the eleven o'clock news bulletin uh, for a while still, uh, at least until half past eleven. So so hold that particular thought. I have to go to the news, Michael. But of course, we are talking about um, the. Uh, Equity Amendment Bill, the Employment Equity Amendment Bill being signed into law and what the developments are around that. Michael Bograme is my guest, Labour lawyer, DA Portfolio Committee member on employment and labour. Of course, we are talking about the Employment Equity Amendment Bill signed, of course, by the president, not actually in, in, in essence in operation yet and uh, understanding that it has to go through a, a gazetting process and all of those other processes. But I also uh, am of the or need to be aware or you also need to be aware employees also need to be aware that of course and need to be alive to the reality that the targets have been proposed and that has been mooted by the department of employment and labor for a number of years that which has been mooted by the department of labor for a number of years is on the horizon and pr probably could become law in the future depending on what happens with that uh, aspect of going to law. Various various institutions saying that they will take aspects of this particular legislation to uh, the courts to uh, for the courts to decide on them. Let's go to Joshua in Pretoria. Joshua, do you have a comment or a question before I go back to Michael? I've got two questions. Sure, sure. 
Yeah, I want to know, how did the DA vote on this law when it was still in its formative stage? Sure. Did, they, the... vote, did they vote in favor or against? In the formative stage? Yes. Sure, sure. Now, man. secondly, yeah. I want to know what is the stance of uh, DA on employment of foreign nationals? Because uh, the labor market in the Eastern Cape, mm. I mean in the Western Cape, is, uh, is, uh, is full of uh, uh, foreign nationals. Sure. And your, your guests will know that uh, hiring a foreign national to the exclusion of a South African is an act of an unfair labor practice, especially when that job is a job one, which, one, uh, which a South African can do. Sure, and that's the issue of foreign nationals. Joshua, thank you so much, and Michael would be listening. We've also got a voice note that's come through for Michael, uh, and so let's, let's listen to that voice note. Good evening, Mr. Denzel. Uh, greetings to Mr. Michael, your guest. Mr. Michael, thank you so much. It's a very big privilege uh, for us listening to you. You nailed it this evening. Thank you so much uh, for saying things as they are. And uh, I hope uh, people are listening and they are learning something because our education system is dead. And because of this education system, that's why most of youth are suffering. That's why we are suffering today. That's why we are competing with people from Zim because their education system is so powerful. That's the truth. Oh, thank you so much. I really, really, really appreciate. You know, as you were talking inside my heart, I was saying, please go deeper. Say it. Give us more. Oh, thank you so much, say. Go deeper. Oh, yeah. Well, there we go, Michael. Um, one, one. The last caller, of course, there, uh, suggesting that, of course, um, you know, in 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 total in total agreement with what you've been saying. Uh, a question then from the earlier the early, the earlier caller who just said, you know, the DA in the formative stages of of the legislation, would you? Would you have been anti? Would you have been, you know, uh, against it from the start? Did the formative stages look like the latter stages in essence? Or, you know, did the latter stages change al- along the way? Thank you. Yeah, uh, Joshua, to, to answer your question, we did vote against it. Mm. Uh, in particular, there was one particular clause which stuck in the throat. Um, I, I, I believe in most of the committee, obviously not the ANC who hold the who hold the, the sway, and that was the minister has the sole responsibility and ability to actually set the targets himself. Now you will understand that the first legislation, the one that's been enforced for the last twenty something years, uh, the Employment Equity Act, the original one, uh, said that in consultation between the staff the trade unions and the management, they would set their targets, their equity targets. Mm. And then they would have a time limit and then they would try and match those targets over time. So it was uh, very much left to the players in the actual business to set that. The new legislation proposed Mm. at the time now when we were debating the new legislation, I was involved in that debate, um, the minister would be able to set it in consultation with what he believed he should be consulting. Now, consultation doesn't mean you would have to argue or agree. All it means is the minister has to hear. And once he's heard, he said, I'll now make up my own mind. That's very dangerous. Um, I've got to point fingers because the minister is a communist, and communists want to control from the center. The business, the minister feels that he can control the business community better than the business knows how to run their own business, uh, which I think is ridiculous. And we voted very much against it. Uh, It didn't help. 
and in fact, it's gone through as exactly was proposed in the first place. Sure. Uh, so, so voted, answer, voted, voted, voted. Yeah, voted against it in the formative stages and vote against and and don't agree with don't agree with it in the latter stages. Let, let's pick up the conversation where we were. You, you know, Michael, the the the, the yeah, argument. Joshua did have another issue about foreign labor. Yes, yes. Let's deal with that. Want... Sure, let's deal with that. Because that is an issue, and, mm. and it's a big issue, and I understand how people are feeling because when you see uh, a foreigner, let's call, let's blame Zimbabwe uh, because their economy has basically collapsed and people have moved down here. Uh, the Democratic Alliance very clearly says that people must have work permits. We can't have someone coming here with no work permit and then getting employed. Well, the, the Democratic Alliance, from what I see always is that we, whether we agree with the law or not, that's not the issue. We must be law-abiding. So to answer you, Joshua, mm. no. If someone hasn't got a work permit, then you cannot employ them. And if you do employ them, then they have to face the full might of the law. Um, and it's a big issue here in South Africa. I'm not asking people to be xenophobic mm. because, God forbid, we can't, we can't afford that. We, we're all brothers and sisters um, together, but what we have got a law, and the law says you've got to come into the country legally, and it says if you want to work, you've got to get a work permit from the Department of Employment and Labor and Home Affairs. You can't just go into a job. Now, I know there are people working without those permits, and I know it's a big problem, and we've got a porous border, etc. I can go into a whole heap of problems that we've got there. Uh, but I don't think this conversation is going to swing no. that way because then we'll, sure. we'll no, then we then we're in a different conversation. Correct, let's correct. let's let's pick up on where we where we were before the news, Michael. We were talking about government's responsibility towards the people who voted it into power. Now, you know. People who vote for a particular government uh, doesn't doesn't necessarily mean you know we judge them by how they voted. But the the the, the majority party is who it is, and those are the you know that's how the voter swing went. So the ANC does have that particular responsibility towards its voters. The the Correct. argument the argument that that is made then about small businesses you know and having a responsibility establishing those um, you know getting education up and running and and there are problems in education there are problems in in small businesses but the argument could then be 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 further just made that in essence that argument is asking of government alone irrespective and 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 outside of business. To deal with the legacy of apartheid, and that and that you know business in itself has no role and responsibility in that regard, and so government must come up with the functionality, government must come up with the practicality, government must come up with the with the essence of 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 you know um, solving the problem. Uh, in as much as the problem, like you said, also the problem is going to be with us for a long, long, long time to come. If if okay, it is, no, if I, don't, it, sure. yeah. is, is, I don't agree okay. with, with government. Government mustn't be held as I believe business has a major responsibility. So let's go to but let's then, let's go to business. Let's let's just deal with that particular aspect. If business is not transforming, if business is not coming to the table, and this is a, a generality, and I'm not saying that I have now gone and done science to say that you know there are aspects of business that are doing it, and 60% and this whatever. I'm saying in a general in a generality, if business is not coming to the party, and and bringing those particular call it targets, call it quotas, call it uh, call it whatever you want to bring that aspect of diversity and equality into the system, which apartheid lumped on us. If government, if business is not coming to the party or coming to the party extremely slowly, what is government's responsibility in that regard? How does government need then to engage that particular well, exactly, that, that particular yeah. space? Absolutely, and I, there I agree with you. Mm. The business community has a responsibility mm. to reflect the demographics eventually mm. of South Africa, yeah. and it will come to that. Mm. However exactly the opposite to what you're saying, mm. I'm saying government must let go. Government must deregulate. Government must take its hands off the business community and say, please expand. Do everything that's possible. 
And I go back to the Tito Mubweni statement saying, mm. leave them alone, make sure that they don't have any handbrakes on them, and they will then expand. And we've seen this all over the world. Business expands when you've got less government. Less government, greater employment. And exactly the opposite to where you're thinking. Uh, you're thinking that I'm saying government has a full responsibility. Well, I think government mm. should have no responsibility. Sure. I think they should let go. And then, and, and then, say, and then that, and then that particular question, then Michael, is what? Hmm. What does government do when business does not seem to be moving in that particular direction? All the, all the, all the labor stats, all the, all the sort of surveys and scenarios that are sketched around, you know, uh, equity and and diversity amongst businesses, suggest that you know the numbers, the numbers look 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 extremely skewed when those numbers come out. So. 30 years later, 30 years later, gov- government, uh, if, even if we argue that government should just leave it to business and business will deal with it, 30 years later, the skewed stats are still there in regards to, you know, how, how we are racially, you know, divided in this country. If, they, business, they if business is not coming to the party fast enough, what, what then, what mechanisms does government have to fix the problem. Well, that's what I'm exactly opposite again. Mm. They shouldn't have a mechanism to fix the problem. They should fix the the, the system itself. And and the, and the system and the system being business not coming to the party fast enough or not coming to well, the party at all. To me because because you need to understand that I have a plethora of labor laws in my pocket. Yeah. I've got 19 pieces of labor legislation. Mm. And I think you and I had this discussion once before. Yes, the last time we what, had a conversation. What, yeah. what happens? So if you've got, you've got a black man who comes mm. to a business and he goes for an interview and he doesn't get the job. Mm. Okay, let's just use that as a scenario. Yeah. And he then points fingers and said, you didn't take me in because I happen to be black. Mm. I have an equal skill to the white man, mm. I have an equal skill to the colored man mm. and to the Indian man, and you and let's not even talk about mm. women because that's mm. also a problem. And, and the disabled. And, mm. and and I am not getting the job. Mm. He has access to the Labor Relations Act mm. and has access to litigation anytime, anywhere. He has the power of legislation behind him. Mm. I don't know of any business who's come forward and I deal with, let's call it 10 businesses a day for the last 30 years. I deal with them all the time. I haven't had one case where a business has said, we're not going to take this man in because he's black. Skills, but he's black, so I'm not taking him in. In fact, exactly the opposite. They're saying, if we have someone coming to us and he's got the same skills as the next person and we don't have enough people because we want to try and match our target, we will then take him in very, very happily and, in fact, try and do the training. Business has got another responsibility to do, and that responsibility is to upskill their own staff and to upskill people who are applying. So if someone applies for a job and they haven't got the full skills, they have said, well, let's take them in. Let's give them a chance to get the skills so that we can move them up the ladder in the business. They've got that responsibility. So how do you do it? You don't have access to millions of dollars, but what you do have access is to be able to then say, we're going to get a person who has the skills to come and work in our business. We're going to bring someone in from Germany to work in our plant. He's got all the skills and he's going to come in. We're going to get him a work permit and we're going to train 20 South Africans. And hopefully we'll train 20 black South Africans because we don't have enough black South Africans in the business. <clears throat> Sorry about my mm, throat. No problem. And so that that's their responsibility. And it's a good responsibility. And then we'll have skilled people. And then when the foreigner has trained people, it's the end of his um, work permit, send him home. You know Are what you, the problem is? Mm. The problem is the government is so backward that we don't get those permits for people to come in and train. We don't get the right people in. And again, it's the same argument. Why is government standing in the way? We've just seen this problem now with Volkswagen who have threatened to take their manufacturing elsewhere because they can't bring 
their skilled technicians into the country because they couldn't get the permits. And they would have trained thousands of South Africans to be able to do the job that they're coming in for. Are you are you are you saying are you saying Michael that race in 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 all its aspects is is not an element to be considered when we are having this conversation that race does not play play a role and that if we left if we let business to its own accord and government took its hand off the particular lever and government took its hand off that responsibility that government actually has that race doesn't play a role in these dynamics. Are we, are we arguing that race is a non-issue 30 years into, into our democracy and that that's something we should park and we should let the playing field deal with the playing field, but race is not an issue? Are we, is no, that... no, because you, no, I'm not saying that and you're not hearing me correctly. Sure. I've just said that if they have equal skills, then you would take the black man in because it's good for your business. It's your customer base. Your customer base is... Let's call it 90% black. Hmm. Wouldn't you be happier if you had your management black who understand the thinking of his own community and understand that the business has to grow in accordance with the demographics of the country? And, and so yet, and yet Michael... Call sure, it race, by no, the way, no, 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 got you. I got you. I got you, Michael. <laughs> I got you. No, 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 I got you. But, and, and yet, <laughs> Michael, and yet, Sunlam, if you looked at the latest survey, and I had this conversation here last week with somebody called Andile Kumalo, uh, who was looking at 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 uh, you know this the kind of survey that they do and they were taking in and they were looking at some four thousand seven hundred businesses all across the country, and one of their biggest 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 uh, showcases about why businesses are not transforming is the issue of race and that's Sunlam that's Sunlam suggesting in one of its surveys just last week and you could go and find it and look at it mm-hmm. suggesting that race was the biggest, biggest actual determined, determining factor in why businesses were not, were not actually transforming and were not changing. So yes, we're acknowledging the racial thing. And, and I get the point where you say, in a country where 90% of, of, of the country is black, um, why, wouldn't it, why wouldn't it make sense to go and hire somebody who's black when, you know, 90% of the country, you know, is, is black in, in, in the racial dynamics? The only, the, only, yeah. the, only, the only answer to that is if I go to Sunlam and, and their stats and their, uh, um, uh, you know, survey just of last week, they're saying that that doesn't even nearly touch what's going on in business and the transformation of business doesn't even nearly touch what the dynamics and the and the dynamics of the country looks like so people are not making that rational judgment that 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 you're talking to saying if 90 percent of the country is black you know i need to hire more black people people are not engaging in that particular space they still i think they are I think they are, and I think you might have read or heard that survey entirely wrongly. No, well, no, they're no, no, no. Yes, they're saying, yes, we, we can't because we don't have the skills and we don't have the ability. And if that's the case, then maybe the second voice note that we played earlier on has got a it, – it rings true. Because why are people wanting to employ Zimbabweans? They happen to be black as well. Yeah. Why are there so many Zimbabweans in the economy – when they are an absolute minority, and it's because they come in with a good education, as bad as Zimbabwe is, we've got to acknowledge, we've all got to salute their education system. And a lot of the businesses are keen to employ Zimbabweans because they come in with skills, with a work ethic, and also the background education and michael your argument right now your argument right now doesn't take into consideration the fact that apartheid destroyed that within the black communities all along it doesn't michael because it doesn't michael because if if you go one-to-one today on skills level on 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 educational levels and i'm not talking about you know the 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 2000s and the new generation who are getting university degrees i'm just talking about a, a generation before that if you go to that generation generation before that impacted by that apartheid system you will find that there is a skills deficit there is an educational deficit Correct. in that regard based based primarily on the fact that apartheid is, existed not on the fact that white person was better in in essence than the black person the black person in essence had a lower 
you know, chance of being educated, had a lower chance of having the skill transferred to him. So in essence, in essence, then, if we agree to that, in essence, then what we're saying is, is that let alone the Zimbabweans coming across the border with that particular skill, we're not solving the problem of that generation who was denied education or got education, but an inferior education, who got skills, but an inferior skill, and who now needs to compete in a competitive market. We, we, we ignore, so you're agreeing with me, we, in fact. You're saying to me that it's then up to us, in particular government, because they haven't privatized the system, the schooling system and the university system, it's up to the government then to improve this, the actual education system. You mm. can't expect a business to take in a person who hasn't got the skills because they've had a lack of education, not through any fault of their own. Mm. Look, I, I happen to be white, and I happen to have lived through a large part of my life under apartheid. Mm. And I then was, I had access purely because of apartheid, I had mm. access to a good education. I've got a mediocre intelligence, mm. very mediocre. I'm a sort of middle of the road person. Mm. I managed to get a law degree because I happened to be white. Let's mm. let's put it on the table and, right and, now. And and somebody and, 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 and somebody else in exactly the same position who would have been black, Michael, would would, would have, have been been, would, would, would have been would have been a gardener because that education that finan- those finances would not have been there. And if yeah, you take so and if you take my, my, yeah and and let's agree on that. And if you take that yeah. scenario further, Michael. That particular gardener then, deprived of his education and you going on to be a law graduate, the education that the gardener does then, the impact of that in generations to come means he does not have the funding to live where he needs to, does not have the funding to educate himself, does not necessarily have the funding to put his children through that education. And so that generational gap lives with us Way beyond, way, way beyond what me and you are talking about. How do we? How do you, we? You and I agree with how that. How do we? How do we fix that? The only way we're going to fix that is where government there they have to step in, and there they have to start making sure that the education system and the upskilling system actually works. Because yes, let me let me tell you a, a story. Mm. While I was at university, at my law degree. There was a fellow who was a, um, a petrol attendant at a, um, at a garage in town. I was in Grahamstown. Uh, what's it called now? It's got a different name. Mm. And that fellow, far brighter than I would ever have been, mm. far brighter, and he was, was working and, in the garage. And he was working as a petrol attendant. Correct. That's because the, his parents that's, happened mm. to be black. He was black, and they mm. didn't have the money, and he worked as a petrol attendant. My mm. brother-in-law, who was also at the same law school as me at the same time, befriended the fellow, he was going through a UNISA education to try and get, pull himself out of that quandary. Mm. He was a lot brighter than both my brother-in-law and I. I won't tell you his name, Mm. but he worked his way up eventually through hard work and against everything to be one of the greatest judges in this country. And that that speaks, Michael. And that's an absolute... unfortunate and absolute exception mm. to what has taken place because of apartheid. And that speaks, but Michael, and that speaks to an individual entering the space and making a difference. The system, yes, but he, the he system. Was a rare, he was a rare example. What I'm trying and, and, to and say it's is, not, Michael, it's not even a rare example, Michael, because, because in, in, in effect, he should never have been there. And, yeah, and, and, in essence, and in essence, the system was not talking to him. The system no, the, trying to destroy him. Yes, the system needs to talk to him today, and the yeah, system and, and the system is working in an unequal playing field, whereby where well, whose fault is that? The apartheid That's system. Government. Yeah, the apartheid no, but system. Now, but government needs has, to and government needs to fix it, Michael. Yes, and they're not going to fix it by employment equity. They've got to fix it at the source, and that's what I'm trying to say, and I think you and I are agreeing mm. on this. Mm. We need to ensure that the man who's at the petrol station isn't there because he doesn't have the intelligence. Because or does the have system the says he must be there. That's the point. And so we have, we have a backlog, I agree with you, and that's taking years. But what we've tried to do now is we've tried to tackle it at the wrong end. So we're looking at the end where the man comes out of the system 
and now we're going to place him in a job where he hasn't got the competence to do it because he hasn't been trained properly. That's not going to work. It doesn't work. You remember many years back, well, maybe you're too young, mm-hmm. but Idi Amin decided that the whole Asian community were running need to, the They need the to market. leave. They need to leave. They need to leave. Mm-hmm. And then it worked well for about a year, not even a year, actually. I think it was about six months. Mm-hmm. And then all those businesses collapsed mm-hmm. because they hadn't trained people to take over those businesses. And that's where he went. He went to the end of the system and tried to correct it that way. Which is pretty silly. Are we? It are we? Are we? If we? If we're using that example, Michael, if we're using that example of Idi Amin and 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 you know getting to the extremes of of trying yeah, to and trying to fix something which obviously was 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 impacting on his economy and impacting on his country, are we? Are we not? They're not looking at this legislation also from a governmental aspect to say, well, they are at their wits ends to fix this particular problem, and they really, really can't. And so the draconial, you know, legislation then emerges. And and, yeah. and, 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 and in essence, the draconial, you know, um, uh, legislation emerges because of the frustration that you cannot fix something because the system is not allowing you to fix it. Yeah. You see, my, my, my problem is that I live here, I'll die here. And I need the I need it fixed. Mm. I need it fixed for my children. We, we all need it. We all need it fixed. Yeah. And yes, and I'm very much in that boat, and I deal with this every day. And what I'm trying to say is, well, there is one province that has created 90% of the new jobs over the last two quarters, and that's the Western Province. And the Western Province, and I've I've been with them on this. They need to somehow make sure. That we're getting people from all races, you call it races, I think uh, mm. all um, pigment, pigmentation, let's mm. rather call it that, because we're all the human race. We've all mm. got red blood. The bottom line is, why are they moving above the, the curve downwards? Why is the Western ones moving? And I think it's because they've deregulated as much as they can. They can't do it too much because uh, obviously they're governed by national government. But they're deregulating as much as they can, and we're looking at it very carefully. They've got a think tank to deregulate and to get rid of all red tape. You know, in the last um, SONA, President Ramaphosa said to the nation, I'm going to look at what legislation stands in the way of job creation. Do you remember Mm. he said that? Yeah, he's going to remove Uh, red tape. Mm. That's it. Mm. And he's going to do that and quickly. We've been asking questions, well, what have you done? Because we're going downhill. Every single month we're going downhill. What have you done? And this doesn't affect colored Indian, black, white people. It affects all of us. All of us. Because when, when a black man gets a job in South Africa today, he's got a thing called black tax on his shoulders. And that black tax is he's got to look after his immediate family, plus his cousins, plus, because they can't find jobs. And that, that and, doesn't and, work. And, 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 and he will and, never get out of his rut then. Because and, and, that's his a legacy, and that's a legacy thing. Of course. It's a yes. legacy of apartheid. But we can't shout that. We can shout it now at 30 years later. We've had 30 years of ANC rule. Are we going to have 60 years of ANC rule and still shout it? It's a legacy of apartheid. When do we say it's now our responsibility? We now have to do something. We can't sit around and blame the past. We now have to do something from, now today. From, from a DA perspective, Michael, from a DA perspective, mm. do you see this legislation as something that is coming to the fore because the ANC needs something and and needs to advance itself before an election? Do you does the DA honestly believe that in essence, this piece of legislation is something that the ANC, having failed to maybe deal with the economy, deal with all of these other things, deal with you know the, the private sector, that at the end of the day, uh, the legislation emerges as more of a, an election strategy ploy rather than a practicality, uh, element to which they would engage to fix the problem at hand, 
where, where are you on a on a on a hundred percent scale of is it an election ploy? Is it a piece of legislation that emerges ahead of an election and and they will ride it towards that particular election? Or, you know, it's it's reasonable enough to understand that maybe they were not able to fix certain things. And so, you know, something of this particular nature then has to emerge. I, I think it's a bit of both. And, I, and I'll tell you why. Mm. I think it's out of desperation. They can see that the economy is tanked. They mm. can see that unemployment is rising every month. And out of sheer desperation, they're saying, how do we tackle this on a quick fix at the end of the cycle instead of trying to actually make it work from the beginning of the cycle? So when you've got a kid that goes to school at six years old, um, let's not worry about them. Let's not worry about the kid who graduates from school at 18. Um, let's not worry about that. But we need a quick fix now because it's getting it's not even election. It's This is getting desperate. We, we're sitting on the cusp of the people. And I'm talking about the black people saying we've had enough. We can't carry on like this. And so that as a sheer desperation, they then come in with an end fix. It's almost that's why I mentioned the Idi Amin thing. I mean, that man was mad. And hopefully no one's mad like that in South Africa. But mm. that's the most desperate move he could have done. Instead of actually trying the hard yards and saying, let's fix where we started. Let's fix. Let's make sure that the kid, the bright, young, bright-eyed kid going into school we don't have to worry about him. Let's let's steal some of the money from the education system, and uh, we can have a party because we're going to celebrate the the, the sona. No, we we now are going to look at it and we're saying, "Whoa, hold on a minute! It's two minutes to midnight, and we better do something quickly." And I think this is what's happened. It goes beyond election. It goes into sheer desperation, and and I think the people are starting to understand that. When you speak to, and I spoke to a whole group of uh, Indian manufacturers uh, in KwaZulu-Natal last week, and they are absolutely desperate. And they're saying, well, this economy is completely tanked. We've now got this pressure that we, uh, we can't carry on business like the normal. What the hell is going on? Do we take our money and invest in across the border? Let's go to Swaziland or Lesotho. I said, guys, don't do that. We need, we need you. Do you know that we've lost in manufacturing? We've lost 60,000 people over the last three years. And manufacturing is the backbone of our economy. We've got mm. to convince people to stay here. We've got to convince people to stop importing. We've got an opportunity right now. The RAND has collapsed, so the RAND is cheap. So what does that mean? When a business has to import, they've got to spend a lot more RANDs. Doesn't it make sense to rather order it from a company here in South Africa at cheap rands and they're working on rands as well so that we can land the goods here in South Africa at a much cheaper rate? Mm. So we've got that opportunity right now. And our government somehow doesn't want to use that opportunity. I don't understand it. And I think, in my mind, I think they're saying, what desperate moves can we make to tell the people, don't worry, we're working on this, you're all going to get jobs. You can't get jobs if you can't do the job. How's sure. that going to work, Michael? Here's yeah. let's 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 yeah. as we begin to end the conversation and 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 we we engage these conversations almost to midnight, Michael. Here, here's a here's a scenario. <laughs> yeah, here's a scenario, Michael. So work with me. Work with me on the scenario. So so the D, so the ANC is under fifty percent next year in the twenty twenty four elections. Um, uh, so that's that's a scenario I put to you, and and I put another scenario to you that um, the Democratic Alliance is able to scrabble together with um, you know some other parties, uh, a coalition to the extent that they get fifty fifty plus one percent, in essence, then making John Steenhuizen the president of the country, in essence, if if they so to agree. So with a scenario of an ANC under 50% next year and uh, a likely, not a likelihood, but let's just say a, a, a chance in the making, that moonshot, a chance in the making then that the DA can scramble together a coalition that goes 50 plus one. Now the DA and you've got President um, uh, John Steenhuizen. This particular issue right here, 
in front of the DA. Uh, you're, you're a portfolio committee person. You're somebody who yeah. works in the employment and, and labor industry. Uh, and and let's, let's assume suddenly that you are Tulas Ngesi. Uh, which, which, which then uh, would, would, would change all of things. How does the DA look at dealing with this particular problem from a governmental perspective, not from, a, not from any other perspective of, of we're in opposition and we need to oppose this or rewrite this or whatever. If you were in government and you are in government and you, Michael, are now Tulas Ngesi and John Steenhuisen is, is president of the country because, you know, there's, there's a chance to get 50 plus one. How, in essence, would you, if, if ever there would be an employment equity amendment bill, that's, that would be uh, the first question I would even ask you, that would there even be a likelihood of the employment equity amendment bill? But, but in essence, this particular issue of, of transformation, diversity, inequality, and to an extent of getting to equality, how would you deal with it? Well, obviously, that's a major problem, and obviously, we have to tackle it, and that's why we're doing the experiment through the Western Province. And that's why the Western Province showed 90% of the jobs that were created in the last six months in South Africa. Now, I know that the Western Province, I'm not in the provincial government, so Mm. I don't have the inside story, but I know they're already proving what can be done. I know they're showing that. I don't know if you've seen recently the minister, the provincial minister of finance in the Western Province, uh, um, Rail Wagner, has now put together... um, Close on, I think it's a billion rand, if not more, into making sure that the business community expands. But they've been doing it for the last five years. They've been doing whatever they can to increase the, the, the business community and to increase job creation. I believe that that experiment done by the Western province, it's not like we're talking philosophy now and certainly not politics, because politics mustn't come into this. We've got bigger problems. We've got South Africa. And the bigger problem is that we need to get our people into jobs. We shouldn't be more than 10% unemployment in the country. Germany had that problem at the end of the Second World War. The country was broken. They had nothing. Why are they the wealthiest country in Europe today? Why have they got 4% unemployment? And I think it's because they got their dual education system. They're spending a fortune on the dual education system. They're spending a fortune on the children and saying, you, you've got a, a talent, you could look like you're going to be a fantastic bricklayer, we're going to train you to be the best bricklayer in the world. And I think the Western province is trying desperately right now to show South Africa that when we actually do get to govern, and it, it won't be a DA government, it'll be a coalition government, and I honestly believe it'll come, that coalition government has to move as fast as possible to make sure that we not only reflect the demographics of the country, because that'll happen anyway. It has to happen because your pool of skilled people is 90% black. That's your pool. You have to use and, the pool. And if business shows you the middle finger, Michael, what would, what would you well, do? Then, then, then we will advise. I mean, we've got trade unions, very effective trade. We'll advise them. Sue, get, get behind the Labor Relations Act. You've got the tools. I do that for a living right now. When someone says I, when someone comes to my office and says I wasn't given a job because I happen to have, I've got one going at the moment, or I happen to um, suffer from epilepsy, I will take them to the Equality Court. I'll take them to the Labour Court, and I am, and I'm doing that all the time. Uh, it's another issue about the disabled community because that makes up six percent of our whole South mm. Africa, mm. and somehow government itself. Uh, I once touched on this with you as well. Government itself. To set a target of 3% employment within government of the disabled community, and they themselves, for some reason or other, mm. are only at about half a percent. Failed to reach that target here. I don't know why. I don't understand it because a lot of the people in the disabled community have the skills, they have the ability, and 90% or more than 90% of the disabled community are from the black community. And they ha- these are people that are able, willing and able to do the job in government, and government themselves don't employ them. So there's something wrong with their own thinking, and I, I condemn them for that. Mm. But that being said, we're all in this boat together. 
politics aside, forget about politics, because I don't think we have the luxury of politics in this country anymore. I think it's the luxury of us. We need to hold hands. Everyone needs to hold hands. And, 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 and in fact, the, the coalition are talking like that. They're talking about let's put politics to one side. Uh, one day they can have a political fight amongst themselves, but that's not important anymore. Mm. What's important is we need to save South Africa. And we're going downhill. It's a slippery slope. Um, I don't want to, like a friend of mine said to me a few weeks back, saying, okay, so the DA then gets into the majority in government. Uh, isn't it like a, a dog chasing a truck? You catch the truck and then what? Um, we, we can't afford that. Sure. We, we can't afford petty politics anymore. We need to create jobs. We need to educate our people. And we certainly then need to hold hands and say, let's move forward. Because unfortunately, we, we can't afford anything else at the moment. Michael, thank you so much for joining me here on Power Perspective tonight. Thank you for joining me on Power 98.7. Thank you so much always for making the time as well, even at these particular late hours. Uh, I, enjoy, I enjoy the conversation and I enjoy the fact that, and I acknowledge the fact that you're always available and, and come on to have these particular conversations. Michael, no, thank you so I, much. I, I loved it. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. That's Michael Bagram, Labour lawyer, DA Portfolio Committee member on Employment and Labour. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.